Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, marks and smarks alike, we proudly welcome you to the internet's only wrestling podcast. That's right, we are the only one. We want to welcome you to Pin the Champ! Hey everybody, welcome back to Pin the Champ. It's me, Maya, Jeremiah, at Songs here with us today, and Kyle's here. We have a fallen comrade today, Sawyer could not be here because the professor has made him go on vocal rest uh, right. apparently so uh, but today we're going to talk about Royal Rumble 1993. Um, I do yes. want to mention that yeah absolutely it's so fun to watch. Um, today our, my sources were pro wrestling fandom, what culture, and WWE Network. Um, so this Royal Rumble emanated from the Arco Arena on January 24th, 1993. Um, it was the last pay-per-view that Heenan and Monsoon ever worked together. That's crazy. I really, that's, I, I really enjoyed it. It's the last one? Crap, man. That's, yeah. that's a bummer because like, ugh. Like, that uh, so man, that, like, it's it, them, like, him, their, their exchange through this entire thing is honestly, one of the highlights if not like if not like the top two or three certainly in the top five of like the best things about this rumble and the fact that oh man that's such a bummer that's uh yeah. Yeah. yeah well i mean it's a bummer but it does go to show you that it that like because it their commentary with each other was so natural and it shines so much it was really special and it, it did really shine through in the rumble and everything. So, um, you know, very happy to, to, uh, to, to be able to see this. And I think we had actually mentioned during the last, um, one of the other podcasts that we had done or at some point about how, um, how Heenan's exit from the WWE was, uh, centered around, you know, uh, that whole, uh, Bobby Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon. About, you were talking about the exodus of uh, Bobby Heenan to uh, WCW. Yeah, so remember, it was a different episode that we had done where I I think I sourced a clip that was talking about Bobby Heenan um, and Monsoon being at the at the hotel together and, and like, mm-hmm. hugging each other, knowing it was their last... Uh, hugging and crying. And actually, like, weeping or whatever. And, yeah, and so come to find out that this was that last time. So it actually reminded me of, of that other thing that we had read. Um, so yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to bum y'all out immediately out of the front gate. No, it's all good. But it's important. It's all good because. Yeah. It's important to state no, that, you know, that it was that last time and it was a highlight. But um, additionally, this is also only the sixth Royal Rumble produced in history, right? And it was the first one where the winner gets a title match. So this is the very first time that that happened. Right, because Flair oh, won the year right. before, and he actually won the title and not right. a title match. Exactly. So, yep, and that was, you know, the, what Flair did the previous year didn't happen until years later again, right? Kind of similar to, like, the Roman Reigns thing that happened way later where he had to defend his title during the Rumble. Mm-hmm. But, the Rumble yeah. Match. The Ric Flair did that like Roman did later, but then this was the first time that the winner 
gets a, a an actual title shot. And this was preceding uh, Mania Nine in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. It was all uh, Caesar's Palace, no yeah, less. Roman Coliseum, awesome. Uh, the first voice you hear is a uh, Gorilla Monsoon, and he's here with the brain. Uh, and my notes said definitely my favorite on commentary of all time. It was a, out of the front gate, like it was just classic. Um, it's the, Throughout the, the whole of my show, childhood. They really, I mean, you know, we watch it for the wrestling, and you forget about commentating sometimes. But with these two, they they really just work so well together, and they bounce. I, you know, they kind of go back and forth, entertainingly. It's not like what we have with uh, um, the previous episode of Raw that we've been watching with the uh, three-man commentary. So it was refreshing to get these two guys on um, as the announcer for this event. Yeah, I can't imagine that Vince McMahon was in the ear of either Bobby Heenan or, you know, Gorilla Monsoon telling them anything. And that's the big difference is that the, uh, the commentary team relied on its own wit and wisdom back then to get them through. And, and you know, Bobby, he like Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon could have had a non-wrestling show and I would have watched it, you know. I believe they did. I believe they had uh, a bingo. It was like the bingo hour. Yeah, uh, it was, the show was called The Bingo Break. Um, okay. Uh, it was Gorilla <laughs> Monsoon and Sean Mooney and Bobby, oh, wow. Brain, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, That's awesome. The Baltimore Flop. Uh, this, um, this, is, this is coming from uh, Ring the Damn Bell uh, WordPress. The, this, uh, since this was a legitimate show, Gorilla Monsoon went by his first, uh, by his real name of Bob Morella. Wow, I didn't oh, know. Wow. Uh, his co-host was a uh, former interviewer from Black Entertainment Network, BET, uh, Carlin Tate. Uh, there was a house band called the Dave Smith Five. Uh, there was the, uh, and then there was the uh, talk show sidekick and bingo master, former uh, WWF interviewer, Sean Mooney. Uh, together they formulated awesome. a show that combined interactive bingo with music and guests like psychics and numerologists. Uh, Sean Moody was okay. responsible for calling out the numbers. They played bingo, viewers at home played along, and they would uh, get free break cards at local supermarkets, uh, <laughs> neighborhood care, pharmacies, basic foods. This was all uh, filmed on location in Baltimore, Maryland. Why Baltimore, you ask? Because I love Baltimore. Baltimore was apparently really, really a hotbed for bingo. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it was a big bingo town. That's crazy. Uh, and why why Gorilla Monsoon and uh, Sean Mooney or Bob Morella and Sean That's Mooney? That's a good question. Uh, Sean That's Mooney? A good question. Well, uh, it would look no further than the show's creator, uh, Nelson Swegler. Uh, and if that name doesn't sound familiar, Swegler uh, was the head of WWF television and pay-per-view production in the early 80s until the early 90s. He was Kevin Dunn before Kevin Dunn. Ah, gotcha. All right, well, thanks to, who is your source again there? This was ringthedambell.wordpress.com. Awesome. Uh, the article is called Ring, uh, or uh, The Baltimore Flop, A Gorilla Monsoon's Venture into Daytime Television. As soon as we it, get done with this recording, I'm watching those. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, think, I think only one, uh, one or two of them aired. Uh, in, in, in one of the cool things is Bobby Heenan, right after he left WWF, uh, is comes on the show, introduces himself. He says, 
Hi, I'm Bobby Heaton of the World Wrestling uh, of WCW. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That's sweet. Yeah, That's awesome. Little, uh, I learned something new today on on this podcast. So that's cool. Um, well, all right. We want to get right to the matches then? Yes. Let's, let's get to the matches. So um, first uh, match that was on the card was the Beverly Brothers versus the Steiner Brothers, right? First thing that I want to say is this um, Steiner Brothers music really freaking sucks. Bum, 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 <laughs> it's like bum, varsity bum, bum, clubber. Bum. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's generic, isn't it? Yeah. It's very generic. It's, it's like it could have been Doink's music. You know, it is the University like, of Michigan fight song. Is it really? Oh, it is. It sounds. It sounds like something from the Crater Wrestler, like choose your theme yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. This is a <laughs> wrestler it. number two theme song. I'm. I'm pretty sure it's the University of Michigan uh, fight song. Let me. Let me take a look while we talk yeah. about the match. So yeah, Bo and Blake Beverly, uh, of course, were played by uh, Wayne. Bl- not played by, but you know, formerly Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos. Um, uh, they were also known as the Destruction Crew in the American Wrestling Association, and they were known as Minnesota Wrecking Crew too in the National Wrestling Alliance. But here we see them as Blake and Bo Beverly. They never really did too too much too big in the WWF, but uh, they were good at you know enhancement talent at best. Um, I feel like this match was pretty you know standard tag team wrestling. I dug it of course because I'm into those you know like actual. It tag- was. It was basically your you your paint by number tag team wrestling type match where the uh, heel take advantage of uh, the face in peril before they get the hot tag, but again, commentator really sold this match. Um, I enjoyed them making fun of a Rick Steiner uh, earmuff <laughs> that uh, yeah. cracked me up a bit. Yeah, Bobby. Why Heenan's... is he wearing? Yeah, why is he wearing earmuffs? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But, hey, they broke out the Frankensteiner. That was pretty cool to see. It was great to see the Frankensteiner. Um, I'm wrong. This is not, in fact, the University of Michigan fight theme. Uh, It is is just called, I I believe the the proper title is called Prides of Michigan. Okay. Uh, It it is very, it it sounds like, um, like that, like, like a, the, 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 the start screen of a college, like, Genesis game. It's terrible. Um, yeah, it's, one, it's bad. You know, one thing that I did not know about the, uh, the Beverly Brothers were actually uh, moving forward from the Beverly Brothers was that Wayne Bloom, who was one of the Beverly Brothers' son, uh, well, no, Cal Bloom is the son, Wayne Bloom's son, was actually signed to WWE as of 2019. I don't know where he is in the uh, you know hierarchy of things if he's with them now, but the the article that I you know I read mentioned that Wayne Bloom's son was actually signed to the WWE, um, so that's kind of an interesting thing as well. And uh, this actually took me back nostalgia-wise during this match too, because the brain did his whole like uh, drawing on the replay, the instant replay bit. That was, was that the brain cam. Yeah, the brain brain scan. The brain scan. That out during this match. So, yeah. But yeah, Beverly Brothers versus Steiners. The Steiners win with the Steiner liner, right? Yep. The uh, Frankensteiner, yeah. Yeah. Nothing really too fancy about this match. Just a paint by colors type of tag team. 
Now, but the great, next match. Great, great tag teamwork, though. Um, and, and I really liked watching how uh, kind of hard, because the Steiners, I believe, are just coming from uh, working in uh, Japan. Oh, okay. So they probably had a bit more of the, uh, you know, the, the, the hard the hard hitting style that that uh, that they have in Japan. What what is a strong style, you know? So they did a little break between WCW before they went to WWE, and they were in Japan for a bit. NJPW, mm-hmm. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, they did. They did. They did some dates uh, in uh, Japan in the like interim uh, between because because there is a like a couple month interim between their uh, 92 uh, begin with uh, WWF and their 92 end with uh, WCW. Uh, I believe they fought um, whatever, whatever um, animals team without Hawk was. Uh, oh, razors um, maybe? Some, did, something like that. They didn't that. call they, it they LOD fought. anymore? This is when I was no. not watching. Well, that was, this is in Japan. Oh, so, okay, gotcha. Oh, I have seen that. It was the Asian guy, right? It was, the, yes. it was, an, Asian, it was an Asian guy, and he was dressed up like a, like a road warrior. I remember seeing that, but I don't remember the yeah. guy's name right now. I'm kind of curious about it. Uh, now I've got to check into it. Let's but see. It, it's, it's, it's so much fun watching them, and I, I really do think that uh, the Rougeos do a great I, – I mean, uh, again – Mid, but like great, or they're not the Rougeos, they're the, the Beverly's, excuse me. Yeah, the Beverly, uh, the Beverly brothers. brothers uh, Mr. Beverly, as, as uh, uh, Vince McMahon would say. Um, <laughs> they also did some work. Uh, they, uh, the, the, the Beverly brothers uh, did, did uh, before they came to WWF in 91, uh, were in, uh, in, in JPW, uh, New Japan. Oh, really? Um uh-huh. They did a series of matches uh against uh the IWGP tag team champions uh whose names I could probably pronounce if I was uh, better at pronouncing names. <laughs> no, I found out that uh that the uh the Japanese member of the Road Warriors was actually Kinsuke Sasaki, but he went by Power Warrior at that time. Power Warrior. That's a badass name. Yeah. So it was him and Road Warrior Animal teaming up. Yeah. So that was cool. But yeah, that's just because anytime you think about the Steiner brothers, you kind of also think about the Road Warriors because of some of their great legendary like fights back in WCW. Um, well, I, I think the Steiners, more, more so than Demolition, were one of those were the most similar in terms of traveling in and working in in other you know like they would work in any federation and they had runs in every federation i mean uh for the steiners what is it 88 to 92 in wcw 92 to 94 in wwf they go to uh ecw in 95 and back to wcw in in uh 96 this is steiners yeah this is the steiners so like uh, I mean, uh, they, they, you know, Scott Steiner did his TNA work in 98 to, in 2000. Then he went to 
New Japan and then uh, TNA rather in uh, in the 2000. I mean, like like just so just tons really of well shows. traveled to both of those. Very teams. well traveled. They have definitely um, worked in in multiple multiple uh, federations, and I think that's one of the things that makes them for me very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to the next match was the Intercontinental <laughs> title match between former Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Just one of the, of course, we've talked about it before. Um, one of those just like signature feuds from when you were a child, you know what I mean? Like one of the first feuds you really remember. It's like, kind of like, uh, you know, Cain and Abel, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like the, it is. the, the tale, of, tale of two uh, you know, tag team brothers bonded uh, since they first became a team, streaming their bandanas off of their legs like the Rock and Roll Express, uh, you know, uh, finally coming to the big leagues and uh, making it all the way up to a, a what was supposed to be a televised match in which they defeated the Hart Foundation for the WWE titles, but the top rope broke. So therefore they threw out the whole win where the Rockers uh, were the world title. So they weren't even recognized as world as like tag team champions. You got, you've heard of that story, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just basically because the match couldn't be salvaged, they decided to go a different way. So the Rockers were never recognized as tag team champions, even though there's literally pictures of them holding the belt after they, oh, yeah. Like defeated the Hart Foundation. So, you know, I, I guess like kayfabe wise, you could say the impetus of why they would, uh, you know, implode. But here's the, the you know, the, the uh, I guess the, the culmination of everything, Marty Jannetty versus Michaels, right before Michaels is pushed to the moon as a world title contender, we get that Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels here at the Rumble. Oh yeah, another thing about this match is that a, a gimmick to, to the whole thing is that Sherry has not really said who she's with, whose side is Sherry on, right? So that's another, another wrinkle to the puzzle. Um, one thing I did not know that I found out later, do you know that Marty Janetti was fired the next day? <laughs> yeah, no. I believe, uh, if, if, if I'm correct, uh, Sean got mad at him for um, not selling the correct shoulder and oh, really? claimed that he was uh, passed out drunk. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea the reason why, but I just, uh, while I was reading up on it, I read that he was fired, so that's very interesting. And we know that Sean can, you know, at that time, admittedly could be a tattletale and want what he wanted, so it wouldn't surprise me if something like that might have happened. But, it's, um, it's such a, a weird thing, too, because watching the match, Sean sells, and, and, and not in, like, it's so hard for me to tell if he is selling in a way to be a dick or if he's yeah. trying to put his buddy over. And like, yeah, he, he, he skates that line so well. Yeah. And, and it's just, yeah, it's so like, I mean, Marty, Marty hits him with like a closed fish punch and he does like a twist. He does like yeah. a spinning twist. Yeah. And like, it, it, it'd be comical if he wasn't taking it so like seriously. Yeah. Also, their, their ring attire. It, it's almost oh, like, yeah. It's yeah. almost like they're they're match like they're they're inverses of each other. Like yep. Sean is wearing the black with white and the the zebra or the the 
uh, cheetah print. And then Marty yeah. just has like the kind of black and white old school uh, tassels, like like he would yeah. if he was a rocker. Yeah, but I, he had tassel all around his tights. Yeah. It made him look like he was like wearing diapers with those white tassels. Didn't it? I thought I thought it looked like it got rolled by like a, a, a like uh, toilet paper rolled. It was awful. <laughs> Somebody uh, TP'd him. Yeah, it was. His attire was awful. Shawn Michaels looked like he was a future champion, world champion. The way they put him together for that oh, match. Oh, I mean, he he. Shawn did His a couple attire. things when he enters. I mean, first of all, he looks like like you said. One looks like a member of a tag team doing a singles wrestling match and the other looks like a future world champion. And, right. and I hate, I hate doing that because I, I I've expressed before my disdain for the idea that one is a Marty and one is a Sean, but in this case, one is a Marty and one literally is, is Marty. Yeah. <laughs> and and right. Sean is, Sean comes down to the ring, just strutting and singing the lyrics, own, like yeah. mouthing along with, and I believe this is, it, it, I, I could be completely wrong, but I think this is the uh, pay-per-view debut of the Sherry version version of Sexy Boy. Yeah. Oh, maybe I didn't even catch that, but it could have been. That's pretty cool. Uh, I could be. I could be completely wrong. It could have been but, when she started managing him. Um, but I really, I, I, I loved this, and not because of the match, just because. He Sean walks down. He 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 takes off his chaps. He's still yeah. mouthing the lyrics. He's trying to get Sherry to sing along with him. <laughs> like it, it's just so money. Ah, oh, so good. Sean was great. Um, as far as the match for me, I I thought that I would be like into it out of the gate, right? But I wasn't. When when the match picked up, then it got good. But when you're think when you're thinking to yourself like Sean and Marty, you're thinking, okay, as soon as the bell rings, these guys are going to be flying all over the place. Um, I don't know if it's just that we're desensitized because of the kind of stuff that people are doing today, um, that makes a Sean and Marty match now look slow and until they pick up second gear or third gear or whatever it is. But the beginning of this match didn't do it for me until it picked up. But then when it did pick up, it was really good. It. It was, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. It's slow because Marty is a bad wrestler. And he needs rest spots and he needed, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I know you're exactly right. Like the entire match, it was, it was stuck in first gear halfway through. Then it got into second gear. And once it got into second gear, it was great. But the first half of it's kind of just like, ugh. Yeah. Do you think they slowed it down because they were trying to tell that story or just like you said, Marty is just that bad a wrestler that they couldn't pick up the pace in him? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't necessarily agree that Marty is a bad wrestler, but he compared to a Sean, he definitely is not. He did like, it's kind of goes back to what you were saying, uh, Kyle is, is that, that just like he stuck in that, rock and roll persona you said it before you know marty was kind of stuck there he was also stuck mm -hmm. in whatever gear he was as a wrestler like he the the gear range that he had and and i don't know it just it you know for me uh i, I don't really blame the, the 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 match being the first part of the match being slow on marty i do kind of agree that song they might have been trying to sell the story that Hey, even though we're high flyers, we're 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 mad at each other. So maybe this way, the blow off to the feud and the match itself was m mediocre at best for me. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, now, well, also to... keep in mind, he may have had a bit of ring rust because oh, yeah. Mar Marty Marty was under house arrest for. <laughs> Just how bad was this person? <laughs> I need to look more into this guy. So let me let me let me let me do the timeline for Marty Gennetti for the Rockers breakup real quick. Okay, January twelfth, nineteen ninety two, is when they break up. The the uh, that is when they they have the the barber shot. Mm -hmm. uh, he hits him with sweet chin music, throws him through. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, Marty was meant to work the injury uh, and thus missing uh, the opportunity to win the championship at the ninety two Royal Rumble which we all know Ric Flair won with a tear in his eye. He received six months of house arrest after attacking a police officer. Oh, really? Uh, yes. And he was fired in March of 92. Uh, during 1992, he joined the USWA and turned heel. Uh, and then in October of 92, uh, he, he was in Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in the crowd attempting to strike uh, Michaels with his mirror, uh, inadvertently hitting Sherry. We saw the buildup yeah, previously. Yep. He yep. challenged him at the Royal Rumble match. Uh, Gennetti lost uh, after interference uh, from Sherry, which we, you know, we, we yep. Yep. But, um, but Gennetti was released, like you said, after the rumors circulated uh, that he'd been under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Gennetti uh, denied it being intoxicated and uh, said that it was a lack of sleep and actually uh, was, was brought back because of Mr. Perfect preventing uh, Michaels from lying to Vince. But, you know, so he, he may have very well had uh, some significant ring rust in the term, in the, in the sense that he wasn't ready to compete on a Shawn Michaels level. And he certainly wasn't, you know, because even if you think about it, going from a tag team, it, it is a... It is a ton of endurance, but in terms of the kind of endurance, endurance needed for, you know, uh, a twenty minutes match against Shawn Michaels as yeah. a single versus as a tag, it's different. Yep. So you know that also could be why it was slow. Yeah, absolutely. And can you also tell me why in the hell? Um, I don't know if you guys caught this or not. But why didn't this match end when Marty Janetti tapped out like plain as day right in front of like Sean uh, right in front of the tap referee? Tap outs don't exist yet. What's that? Tap outs don't exist in the Federation. Yes, I they do. Till, like, no, they do. they don't exist till like ninety. No, no, because something. because there's taps later. Yeah, no, there's definitely they definitely existed back then. No, if you're talking about the uh, Razor Ramon match, there there was no tap. The ref just called that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Marty versus uh, Sean. Yeah, but you said you're saying there's a tap later. Um, they I don't think they count tap out yet in submission. They just say you're out. Hmm. Remember they used to do the arm lift. If yeah. they fall three times, then you're out. But I don't think they had the tap. So the dude, you can just literally be like, I tap out, and you it doesn't count. Well, they don't say so. I tap out. I mean, was he? I think he was just flailing around. I don't think he was trying to tap out. Well, I'm but, just saying. All right. Well, okay. Well, then that's new to me. I had no idea that the tap out literally didn't exist. I do know what you're talking about with the raised arm three times when you're passing uh, out. So according, and this is you know this is from Reddit, but. 
according yeah. to the fine folks over at Squared Circle. The tap out uh, as a form of submission uh, debuted just before Ken Shamrock debuted. It, it wasn't a thing because in 93, it's verbal submissions only. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. That really threw me off, dude. I guess when you go back and watch wrestling, you have to be like, yeah. Because I was like, why didn't that match in just then? But uh, yeah. I totally forgot. I actually wrote down something about that heart-shaped mirror that you mentioned as well, because I had totally forgotten about that until I saw it. But yeah, I remember that as a, as a kid when he hit, when he hit uh, him with the, the mirror. So as far as the match goes itself, Sherry comes out first. Um, you know, during the match, uh, Sherry slaps Michaels, but later hits Janetti with her high heels while aiming for Sean. Uh, this, you know, Michaels shortly thereafter wins with a super kick and later on we get a backstage brawl with Michaels, Janetti, and Sherry in the back after the match. So. Uh, the professor is going to have to correct you, Jeremiah. Oh, wait it a minute. Is not, it is not a super kick. It is a patented crescent kick. Oh, it's a crescent kick. <laughs> so oh, says man. Monsoon. Nice. Well, so is that what he called it as? Yes, he called it his his patented crescent kick. I will not deny what the what the monster what the gorilla says. <laughs> I will never, I will never go against what the gorilla says. So what he says goes crescent kick. All right. So after that, Bam Bam Bigelow versus Big Boss Man. Two great big men, right? I forgot how big, just how big Big Boss Man was when he stood there and he was like about the same size as Bam Bam. I always remember Bam Bam being this humongous human being and I don't for some odd reason I couldn't recall Bossman being as big as he was but watching this match that was like holy cow they're about the same size and yeah, Bam Bam can move for a big guy shoot this match was faster than the first one the uh, match before that and the match before it yeah yeah, yeah. Bam Bam and, 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 and Mr. Ray Trailer Big Bossman can definitely definitely move for their size and they're both big guys um, I always have a soft spot for uh, Big Boss Man because I live near Cobb County, Georgia. And, you know, that's his, his famous song is you ever take yeah. a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia. So I'm like nearby. Now, they do mention that during this match, the winner of the Rumble will get a, a title shot at the WWE uh, title. So that's back in 93. You know, that was the very first time um, that it was mentioned as far as on this show, though. Um, so Bam Bam versus Boss Man, Bam Bam wins with a flying headbutt, right? Um, I think that this is kind of during that time. I, was Bam Bam uh, kind of a, newer to the scene at the time? I believe yeah, Boss um, Man had been there for a while. Boss Man had did, done his run. I mean, he, he did his run with Akeem. He, uh, he did his, you know, he was yeah, brought in Twin uh, in 89, I think, to, to, to be the monster heel against Hogan. So he's been his heel. He's done... He's, he, I believe he's done his nails bit at this point. And Bam Bam, he, I, be, I believe this is the beginning of him coming. I mean, Bam Bam has had a long career. Yeah. He's had a huge career. He's also one of the guys that, that does some time over in Japan. And I think he's oh, really, yeah, really, of time. really revered in Japan as well. Yeah, I mean, because uh, so Bam Bam, he, the last time we saw him in the WWF, previously was in 87 to 88 yeah very uh, short run right yeah he but before that he was in the uwa the uwf 
WCW yep. and, and New Japan. Um, so, I mean, that's already just a huge, huge yeah. career so far. Um, yeah. yeah. Bam Bam yeah. is my favorite big guys for sure. He's so, he's so uh, just in general, like quick. I, I love, as a fellow uh, big dude, I loved, even if they were bad, because like big guys always were pretty much portrayed as like, whenever I got to see a fat like wrestler be a good guy, I was into it. Yeah, uh, and like Bam Bam kind of, he, he goes back and forth, back and forth. But uh, he is just like, ah. Uh, so underrated and one of those real life badasses too yeah yeah definitely he he's i mean anybody who can sit through a head tattoo the way he's got those flames on his head has got to be you know have some pain tolerance for sure and um kind of the uh mold for like the um you know super athletic big guy okay. before then before, like most of the guys in the wdf that were big they were kind of slow lumbering lingering they're all just more power but Bam Bam was power speed he was agile he he really did like was kind of first of his kind yeah you know? one, also uh, one of those guys that could have had a bigger push and I would have been happy with it like if it, he could have been a world champion and I would have been happy with it like on the same level as like a Vader he could have been like that big monster uh guy I like him as a heel I like him yes. as a face he was both just, ways you know, yep. yeah yeah he works both ways. And I tell you, like, one of the highlight matches of Bam Bam's career, um, even though this, you know, match versus Boss Man was pretty decent, uh, was that Bam Bam versus uh, Brett from, like, one of the King of the Ring finals. It's really one of his highlights um, was that Bam Bam match as well. So after Bam Bam, though, defeated uh, Boss Man, we get to our world title match. Uh, quick, quick, a uh, little bit about Bam Bam Bigelow in real oh, life. Yeah. Uh, real life hero. Uh, on July 4th, 2000, uh, Bigelow received second degree burns on 40% of his body while rescuing three children from a fire in Wayside, New Jersey. Oh, wow. wow. He spent 10 days in the hospital after the incident. So he ran into a burning building to save a bunch of kids. Way to go, Bam Bam. But how, I mean, can you imagine what a superhero he must have looked like to those kids running in there with flame tattoos on his head, like beating the fire to rescue them? <laughs> I mean. Pretty crazy. He, like, like he has, like, his his demons, right? I mean, like. Everybody does. The the fact is, like, you know, I, I've said this before. These, these men and women put their bodies through a lot for the fans and for the art yep. and I respect them for that and I, like to me that is a noble endeavor so I, I you know I'm just like hats off damn good on you yeah yeah exactly yeah I'm glad you found that man it's a good opportunity to go ahead I, I know uh, Bam Bam's no longer with us you know but definitely good to be able to to look back and and put some positive light on him in his career and is what kind of person he was outside of the ring too. Yeah. So Bret Hart versus Razor for the WWE title. This is prime Bret and Razor, of course. Uh, you know, during the match, Bret injures his ribs on the corner post where, uh, and that from from then on out after that injury where Bret gets run into that corner post, that's Razor's focus during the match. 
you know, Heenan keeps selling that Razor's legs are too long for the sharpshooter as well. So, you know, every time, you know, Brett tries to put on the sharpshooter uh, on the tree trunk legs of Razor Ramon, he can't get it on. Um, and I did note as well that the ref, I felt like was out of place on this one. Brett should have won by pinfall very shortly before uh, he won by sharpshooter because uh, he had a pinfall on Ramon as well. And it took like a full second or two for the ref to get in the position to start that pen. Did y'all notice that? Are you talking about the, yeah, 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 yeah. Where he, he did like uh... it was some kind of roll up. If I'm not, I could totally be misremembering it, but there was a pen. It, it was during the test of strength, right? Like they did the, the test of strength and then he did like a, a foldy bit thing where he pulled him in and then rolled him up. Yeah. I think it, it may have been just that because to me, well, again, like, I mean, that's, you know, one of the things you get in wrestling anyway, the referee's supposed to be a numbskull, right? But, right. Uh, but in this situation, he was like clearly across the ring and Razor was, was like pinned, you know, a couple of seconds before he started and he still got a two count. So the match could have ended there, but it didn't. It ended with a sharpshooter just a little while later. Um, of course, dude, I mean, I'm a huge Bret, Bret Hart mark. I also love Razor Ramon. Uh, I think both of these guys are just like, you know, new era WWE Mount Rushmore for sure. You know, um, I thought this was a good match. I I I love Brett, but we are at the height of I think the kind of like right right now. I don't know if I like they're great promos, but like like the promo beforehand was just like, how dare you insult my mom, my dad, my family, wrestling. Yeah. This is the most important thing in the world to me. And like, as an adult, like, as a kid, I was like, yeah, it should be, it is. But as an adult, I'm just like, oh, Brett, you're just having, you're just like, you're just complaining, complaining. You're just being (laughs) like, like, just like, you're just a whiner. And like, I love that. I I think that's great. But like, I don't know if I consider that a a face. Like he he is the most complaint, like, uh, Mean Gene called him the most fighting, he called him a fighting champion. He's also a complaining champion. He, he whines and bitches and moans. And like, but that's also what's great about Brett is like no one believes Brett's uh, kayfabe more than Brett. Like he, yeah. he, like this is real, like realer to Brett than it is. And like, you know, they, they did some clips and showed like Bruce and Helen Hart and like, God, his father just looks like like a, a, a mannequin, just like a, a, a like a grandpa that we, we snuck out of the home and brought out. He doesn't know what, he thinks he's in the cow palace and he thinks it's 1964. He doesn't know where he's at. He he's doesn't just know which like, one of his sons is wrestling. He's like, oh, is, 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 is Keith wrestling? Is this Bruce? I love Keith. Yeah, Bruce. Bruce? <laughs> you know, and, and, and like, I, that being said, one of the best, in my opinion, like I, I feel like a lot of people fall on like one or one of two sides on Razor Ramon's promos with the fake Cuban accent. I personally love it. Yeah, it's but but I, I can rec I can both recognize and understand why someone would not like it. Right. <laughs> uh, I I love you know the I'll have gold on my fingers, gold around my neck, and hit man. I'm going to have your gold around my waist. Like, I, I just, like, mean Gene, my, like, I just love the way he, like, it's, 
It's so dumb. And to think that Vince had no fucking idea that it that was an accident. What, 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 what it was, what Scarface was, or any of that shit. Like, he was just <laughs> like, oh, this is an original idea, pal. Good match. Um, you know, good, good psychology. Uh, I love at the beginning, um, Hitman puts his sunglasses on a kid in the uh, audience, and Razor's just like, like kids giving giving him yeah. shit, and, and then like he's like, okay, fine, fine, I'll, I'll I'll do something too, and he steps out and throws his toothpick at the kid. <laughs> yeah. Great fucking heel work. Yeah, um, awesome man. So Razor, yeah, I I, so I agree. Cool. In, in terms of uh, that, the the tapping thing threw me off. Uh, I I had to uh, I had to check that as well. That's why I was like, I'm pretty sure tap outs didn't exist because like. It, it is a very confuse. It is a confusing thing going back and watching old wrestling, and when they have different rules, you're just like, yeah. wait, what a minute. So there was a spot in the Bret Hart and Razor where there was a tap as well that was questionable because I didn't I didn't notice that one. Is that yeah, right? It I, was. I heard you mentioning that song. Yeah, I didn't even see that one, but uh, but I definitely saw the one where it was the Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels, but. Um, but yeah, if I would have noticed the Bret Hart versus Razor one, I would have been just as confused as to why why it didn't work, you know, or why he didn't get why the match did it in. But yeah, so that's Bobby one of the good things about going back and watching all this. We just learning new stuff all the time. You I know, know. It's kind of fun. pretty cool. What were you saying, Kyle? Oh, I was just I was gonna say uh, to the Bobby Heenan's point. I, well, I said Bobby Eden Eden, but I meant Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, in general, with Razor's moveset, you get to see a lot of moves that, like, don't get used in modern. I don't know what the move is called. It's, like, I guess the it's a bilateral stretch, maybe. It's where you get behind oh. somebody and, yeah. like, that thing. That yeah. thing. Abdominal? I love that move. Stretch. The yeah. abdominal stretch. I love that move. It, it doesn't look effective. It, it looks more actually therapeutic. It yeah. looks like he, it's like a, like a move, and I, that's probably why it's not getting used. But like for a tall guy to use, like like watching Razor use that, you're just like, oh, he's fucking a hitman up. That looks like that might hurt. Like I, so, I just, yeah, yeah. Hit, hit, so Razor's abdominal stretch is kind of like uh, you know like uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's arm drag. You know, kind of the same thing. He's got like yes. the best one. It, yeah, it's like the best, but uh, but yeah, dude. What do you got? I mean, song. Uh, what? How did you feel about this? The the title match. What were your highlights here? I enjoyed the match. Um, I I enjoyed the ring psychology and um the fact that uh, they played into what you don't see much anymore, where like a wrestler focusing on an injury, like uh, Ramon did on uh, Bret's heart rib, and he just keeps on going back to that. Every time you think uh, Brett can mount the comeback, it's just a quick shot to the ribs, and then Ramon has control again. Um, you know, and they really use the ring to to his advantage there. Um, so yeah, it was an enjoyable match. Um, I did like them. Like the announcer kept on mentioning how long or how big of a tree trunk uh, Razor Ramon leg was, and he'll never be able to put him in the sharpshooter. And then he didn't put him in the sharpshooter in the ending. He didn't put him in the sharpshooter in the traditional way. He did it from the ground when they were the both ground, on the yeah. ground. He managed to, like, hook him up then. And then from there, 
lock, locked it in. And then, uh, of course, you have the verbal submission and not the tap out for the win. So, so yeah, well, you're touching. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you're touching on actually one of my huge gripes in wrestling is, is yeah. a lack of an understanding of how the sharpshooter works. The yeah. sharpshooter hurts the lower back. Yep. It does not right. hurt the legs. Yeah. So when, when everybody is just like, oh, he's working on his knee for the sharpshooter, I'm like, why? Yeah, why? Yeah. It wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, you don't understand how the sh- – like, and, and I, 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 I often get mad when they're just like, oh, he's tree trunk legs. And I'm like, it really – like, twisting the legs doesn't matter so much as leaning back and locking it in into Pulling the lower back. back. Like, that right. is the, the, the wrenching part. And so that's like, uh, I, I don't know. That's just a, 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 a professor's gripe, certainly with uh, what it, it, the rules. It's the rules. Come on. We, we need to understand how the moves work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also that Song touched on something really important with the psychology of that match and the way that it ended is the connection that if, if, if the commentary knows what to be selling in the ring, then it adds to the match. The fact that Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon uh, were were working up, like he'll never be able to, to get that hold on. He's never going to be able to do it. And you know the foresight had to be there for Brett to be putting that sharpshooter on in a different way, which made everything validated that the commentary team said and made it that much more exciting and added to the – I guess the, the 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 excitement of the match itself was, you know, Brett finds a way to overcome and still use his sharpshooter to win the match, right? So I think you definitely touched on something important there, Song. So after that, it's getting close to Rumble time, right? But uh, before the Rumble, uh, as soon as the world title match is over, Bobby Heenan leaves the commentary stand to debut the North the narcissist Lex Luger. Is it the narcissist or is it? The narcissist. narcissist. <laughs> it's, it's all of it. No T. It's all just Narcissist. This is something that I legitimately don't understand if, like, if it was supposed to be the narcissist, Lex Luthor, or Lex Luger, or is it supposed to be Narcissus? That's his new ring name. Yeah, right. Like, he's no longer Lex Luger. He's Narcissus. Right. I think it's like a combination of both. I think it's that like they looked up the word narcissist and how it's spelled, and that's one of the ways. But then there's people who are pronouncing it narcissus, like it ended with S-U-S-S, and any combination thereof after that. Just like, you know, song saying it was one N and nothing else but S's. It was like, <laughs> it was like an N and 15 S's. The narcissist. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, though, because as we sit there and we watch Lex Luger surrounded by mirrors and Bobby Heenan is on a microphone, uh, you know, basically we're watching a strip tease happen when, like, Lex is taking off his, <laughs> his, his like, robes while Monsoon right. has the microphone and he's, you know, spitting into the microphone, Narcissus! It's the Narcissus! He's, you know, Lex is, is right. doing a strip tease. He's stealing ravishing Rick Rude's hip gyrations. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lex's gimmick in WWE sucked, dude. I mean, that oh, yeah. gimmick sucked. 
really bad. Sexy Lexi, I, I like, I, okay, first of all, I'm not using this in the pejorative manner. Okay. I'm using it as a descriptive. This is, and I don't remember wrestling. I mean, wrestling to a certain extent has a large amount of homoeroticism in it right. in general. But holy shit, this is the gayest thing I have <laughs> ever seen in like wrestling to, to date. Right. Like Bobby Heenan, like just coming all over himself, like, oh, don't tease me, Lex. Don't tease me. Like, give me a little, uh, like, you love yourself, don't you? And you should. You should yeah, love you yourself. Should. <laughs> and that like, terrible. It was just like, like, I, I don't know. Like, I didn't, I like the parts of me that found it funny were more put off by yes. like, like the parts of me that were just like, Ugh. You're wanting I mean, like, to look like, away. I, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's, it was an again. uncomfortable watch for me. I, yeah, look away. It was a know, look away cringy moment. Think about it. Like, wrestling was, like, back then wrestling was geared towards little kids and stuff like that. And then you got this segment here where the guy is just, like, fawning over the dude's thigh. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> that's, that, that's, I think that's what it is for me, too, is it's like, well, your demographic is children. In, the, in this new generation era, they are sure. going for kids. I want to blow y'all's mind. We were those kids. <laughs> we yeah, were those no, that's kids. what I mean. I know. <laughs> and and like, but like, why is Bobby Heenan trying to like, like, like maybe, maybe like, I, I don't know. I, I, I like, again, I don't, I don't have a, a like, I, if, if that's what Bobby Heenan's into, I'm happy for him. And I'm yeah. even happier that he gets to, to show everybody how happy he is. <laughs> I just think that it's a little weird. That the, the WWF is like, hey kids, here's the new bad guy. Aren't you attracted to him? <laughs> like, it's just I don't know. Also, his back knee, oof, oof, yeah. oof, oof. Like he is juiced up. Like he, he uh, there's a there's a great barbarian story where like he's in the locker room and he, he's he's asking somebody to, to to give him a shot of steroids. And uh, whoever it is, you know, uh, goes to try to put the needle in and it won't go in. And he, and he says, uh, he says to him, I'm, I'm sorry, Barb, I think you're full. Because <laughs> it's just like, he's just had, like, it's just like, holy shit. Like, you've got too many, too many. And, and man, Lex, like, I like Lex's look. He's got a great look. Yeah, but that's it, really. But I just, I don't know. We, we will see. We will see what the narcissist brings to the table. Yes, uh, we will. Match-wise. Yeah. They gave or, him a mic, the too, in this segment. They let him talk, which was awful. Yeah, he's not a great talker. Yeah, he uh, said... He said... Cringeworthy. He, quote, mesomorphically magnificent physical specimen beyond perfection. That's what That was his line. I was surprised he could oh. say But anyway... I was going to say, I'm surprised Mr. Perfect... Uh, didn't have heat with him saying beyond perfection. And you can't that's say perfect great... in a promo without Mr. Perfect getting yep. pissed. And speaking of perfect, that's exactly who he challenged during this segment. So he makes, you know, Lex makes his debut at this uh, Royal Rumble as the narcissist, and he challenges his what would be his natural arch enemy, right, Mr. Perfect. Mm -hmm. What's 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 better than being a narcissist? Being perfect, you know, actually perfect. So natural enemies. Uh, you know, kind of set to collide that way. So, uh, more to come on that in the future. So, after that very weird Lex Luger, Luger debut, 
uh, Caesar and Cleopatra are introduced and they welcome everybody in short to WrestleMania nine. Um, I'll say this, you know, uh, now that we look back on it in history, we won't touch on it too much now because I'm sure we'll be covering it, you know, before too long. Uh, but uh, historically speaking, uh, people do really kind of uh, laugh out loud a lot at WrestleMania nine and how over the top, uh, you know, Roman Coliseum with like, you know, the vested, parties the vestal and, virgins and yeah, all that good stuff. But so th this is our first kind of like introduction to that is them coming out and cordially inviting us to WrestleMania nine. So um, guess what, guys, it's time to talk about the actual Rumble match, which is my very favorite, your very favorite match types from what we know. Uh, and these are the formative years, man. This is when I was a kid watching them and being like, this is the best. But uh, so yeah, we'll run, we'll run down some of these, uh, these guys that what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and um, kind of run down the list of, of, of the entrant numbers and mm -hmm. you guys, you know, and, and, and I'll kind of throw some things out there, you know, I thought were noteworthy and you guys stop me if, if I'm missing anything important or anything that you'd like to talk about. Okay. So this rumble match starts off with, uh, with, uh, with the person who won it the previous year, uh, Ric Flair, the world, he, he had previously the year before in 92, uh, uh, you know, he won the world title at the, you know, by, by being the last man in the rumble. Um, this and, year, and that was, was that the, uh, that was the second ever Royal Rumble that we're, we're at the third at this no, point? No, this is actually the sixth consecutive Royal Rumble. Oh, it's the sixth. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. This is actually the sixth. Yep. But, uh, but Rick had won the year before in 92 uh, and he won the world title. This year he came in at number one. Uh, number two was Bob Backlund who happened to be age 42 at the time. So we have Bob Backlund and his, he's, he's at my age, dude. I could not possibly imagine taking bumps the way that my, my body feels <laughs> at this age. Yeah. Like, oh my God, like this, this dude is 42 and he's, uh, He's the Iron Man of the match, right? He's yeah. he's like a spider monkey. You couldn't throw him I out. I feel like Bob Bob Backlund's gimmick could legitimately work nowadays, where he's just kind of like this psycho. Like he's like he's like if Mickey Rooney became a wrestler, he's just like a <laughs> like a psychopathic little pale. Like I I just like he's just a I I don't know how to describe him. He's like your grandpa. Like he's. He's like super. He's super white meat, but in an yeah. insane way, like in a, in a way that like like forces you to drink milk instead of like a person who like enjoys milk. Does that make sense? <laughs> like yeah. he's like, I I don't know. I I Backlund is surprisingly like I I, I like old school wrestling. Yeah, I like that old school style of kind of like grapplers and graps, and so I. I don't know. He's he's a bit of a psychopath, and I dig it. Yeah, and we never really knew that until he came back for that run where he actually did heel work and 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 won the world title for a couple days. But but him being that crazy heel dude brought like a whole new level to him as a character, and he did it so much better. I, I mean, he really is one of those guys that you think is from an era of San Martino that even shouldn't even be like around at that point, you know? Oh, absolutely. You and see, he, wasn't see, he an Olympian? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he was an Olympian. I'm not 100% on that. We'd have to check our, our facts, but 
it wouldn't surprise me to find out that he was one. But really, I mean, you saw Bob Backlund in a lot of those older pictures versus like the Iron Sheik or, or uh, like I said, Bruno San Martino. But then you see him here in the modern age with all of these new wrestlers and he's taken on, he's, he's been a face this time around, but then he's also doing this great heel work where he's, you know, he had that kind of presidential gimmick for a while, right? Where he was like, yeah, he was running for president. Yeah. Yep, and it was like Bob Backlund for president. And that was kind of one of his like over the top heel personas. And the way that he that look in his eyes, right? And and how he he actually makes a good like psychotic you know, heel. Yeah. He his in it's it's an intensity that he's just like he's and he's another Minnesota guy. He's another uh um okay, so he was a uh college, he was collegiate wrestler but not uh, uh, Olympian. And okay. he uh, has a degree in physical education. So he's a gym teacher, essentially. Oh, okay. <laughs> like that, and that's what, like, that's what it is. He's like your crazy straight-laced gym teacher. Yeah. Who, like, it, it is, is like a literal psychopath. And I love uh, just the intensity he has behind his eyes is just... And, like, I'm sure he's not like that in real life. I'm sure he's, like, a delightful grandpa, like, who has, like... <laughs> you know, a wonderful family that he loves very much. And like, he, he, I'm sure he's like the type of guy off, off camera who like picks up old ladies' cars so that they can like, you know, change the tire and shit like that. Like, I'm sure he is a genuinely nice guy, but he has the intensity and the look of a fucking serial killer. And I love it. Well, I have, I do remember seeing some interviews like on the network roundtables where like legends will say things like, you know, Bob Backlund's a super nice guy. He's freaking awesome, you know, really, really nice guy and everything. But at the end of the day, like, if you, you don't want, he's like not one of those people you want to make mad either, you know? Oh, he's, he's absolutely a real shooter. He's like one of those guys who could, he could put you in the crossface chicken wing for real mm-hmm. and make you tap. Like he's, you know, he's like, like you said, a Bruno San Martino, a Terry Funk, uh, you know, uh, uh, any of those old guys, you know, uh, uh, Cowboy Bob Art Orton, like you know, yeah. those those old school grapplers, the the guys who you know, you know, uh, a a a kind of a uh, stretch them kind of thing, you know. Yeah, stretch you out. Yeah, work you out. Uh, so on number three comes in Papa Shango. He doesn't last too long at all. Flair almost throws Papa Shango out immediately. Um, then we get number four after that. We get the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, out. Um, now, from that point, once we see Ted DiBiase stroll down, we get Flair and DiBiase double-teaming on Backlund, who we were just speaking of. Um, and pops number five. Brian Nobbs of the Nasty Boys. He actually goes immediately after DiBiase. Right, then because at sh- this point, uh, DiBiase and IRS was the tag team champion. Correct. Yep. So the, the Nasty time. Boys would go directly for DiBiase. That made sense. That does make sense. Yeah, um, I believe at this point, the Nasty Boys would have just been brought in recently. Uh, so, yeah, they'd probably be making the run. So that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. 
and then uh, you get number six out, we get Virgil, which kind of makes sense. They want to put him out near Ted DiBiase, who had just come in, so they can kind of have that, you know, even though they might not have been freshly off of their, you know, him being his his butler or whatever, you know, he does still go right off after DiBiase. Um, Brian Knobs gets eliminated uh, after Virgil comes out when DiBiase pulls the rope down as Knobs is running towards him. So Knobs kind of eliminates himself with his momentum. Um, Thus keeping him strong. Yeah, exactly. Making him look strong still. So uh, after Virgil at number six, we get Jerry the King Lawler out at seven. Uh, Memphis great Jerry Lawler. Uh, I want to take a stop, a, a second to stop and recognize how much heat he had. Um, Jerry Lawler, like the biggest boo that I heard all evening was when he came out. Well, why was that? I if if I'm not wrong, I mean he he was a great heel. Yeah, so he's I mean, a great that, heel. That was, but he so has a lot of commentary it, time, right? Did, was he yeah. on commentary at this point? He was doing superstar at that point. Yeah, he was he was, he was yeah. the superstars announcer. I mean, to me, Lawyer's the next level dude when it comes to making a crowd upset. So, like, I feel like that if, if basically, if his commentary time was around the same time, just the fact that people hear him talking a lot and he's healing it out constantly. This is back Mm -hmm. when Jerry Lawler had, like, really legitimate stuff to say. You know what I'm saying? Well, Uh, not only that, he's going to begin his feud with Brett, I believe, at the 93 King of the Ring, which will be the next pay-per-view so he like he like he's they're already probably planting the seeds for him to be the big feud with uh uh with With brett Brett. yeah i love that feud i mean you know it's one of those that i thought that i mean I, i didn't know much about lawyer i knew he was from uswa and i knew he was a legend but coming in like from wwe or from you know uswa coming to the wwe you know, I would have never thought of that feud, the commentary guy versus Bret Hart, but they mixed it real well with that whole King of the Ring gimmick, you know, Jerry Lawler saying, you know, I'm the only king. That became a really great feud, in my opinion, and and definitely highlighted Jerry Lawler uh, and what he can do as a heel. But um, Jerry's always, to me, honestly, been a next level talker when it comes to being a heel. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I was, but I was actually, it shocked me how, how incredibly he got booed when he came out. Um, after Jerry Lawler, we get Max Moon. Uh, Max Moon uh, is, he says, says, it's the only place that you'll see uh, Max Moon tying up with somebody like Ric Flair. Like, I just, I had to think about that for a minute, right? I was like, looking at it, I was like, you know, I would have never thought Max Moon really touched Ric Flair. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't have think that those guys actually were in a ring together, but it just goes to show you like what a mix of characters and, 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 and stars that WWE had at the time. You're kind of mixing like those WCW guys like Flair with characters like Max Moon. Yeah. It's, it's a, for, for a big Southern wrestling fan like myself, it's a bit of a weird juxtaposition, but it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, it's 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 hard, right? I mean, you've all, I mean, it's wrestling, so it's not that hard. Yeah. But it it, it is uh, it is a little strange to see somebody in a spaceman outfit 
fighting. But I mean, there's also a guy in a king's robe. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Entrant number nine, Tenru, also goes after Ric Flair. Then you get number 10, Mr. Perfect coming out after that. Also a run-in with Flair. And obviously that's because of the following uh, night on Monday Night Raw, they're going to have their retirement match. So they're, you know, definitely at the peak of, of, uh, of their feud. Uh, only one day removed from life or death situation here for one of them leave, leaves town. You know what I mean? It's not a retirement match. It's more of a career versus career match. Yeah. One has to leave the WWE. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I kind of all lump them in the same way, but it is important. There, it's, that, a sim, it's a similar stipulation, yeah. but I think Song brings it's, up a good point. Yeah, that is a good point, yep. <laughs> because yeah. Because technically, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Garvin uh, in, in like the 80s did a similar thing with uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, where yeah. he, uh, he lost a, a career match with him, so he kept doing things like he would become a ring announcer or yeah, he would be the that. referee. And uh, so so it, it's one of those kind of stipulations that allows for them to return uh, and, and not necessarily like um, a, a mask rider or a yellow dog type situation where they have to come back in a mask. And this allows them to return, um, you know, under different circumstances. Right. Uh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, after, you know, that those three guys, they run out and they, you know, pretty much go after Ric Flair. Finally, number 11 Skinner comes out and he actually kind of helps Ric Flair out of his predicament with Mr. Perfect again on paper, uh, you know, never really think about Skinner and, and Ric Flair interacting. Right. Is well, Skinner his name or his job? Oh, I think his name is Skinner. I think he is a Skinner, and now he's a Booker, isn't he? <laughs> is yeah. It, is it, yeah. Yeah. I think Skinner. Like, let me take a look here. I'm is Skinner. Like, Pete, like, is Skinner Steve Pete Kern. Kern? Yeah, it's it's or it's Steve it's, Kern. No, it's, uh, it's Steve Kern. That's right. Uh, but with Skinner, the character, I I I, I just wonder is like, what I, I'll have to look into it, but like. I know he was a tobacco spinner. Yeah, he's, he's an alligator tobacco. hunter. He's an alligator hunter from the Florida Everglades. I remember his vignettes. His vignettes were him up to his like eyeballs in water, like with a knife in his mouth or something like that. It, it was very crocodile Dundee-ish, right? I just, I just wonder if like his name is like Alexander Skinner or, or if he's just yeah. like Greg Jacobs I, the Skinner. I don't remember him ever having a first name, uh, you know, uh, then quotation Skinner and then last name. Uh, I don't ever remember that of him, you know, growing up when I, when I first saw him like debut. I remember those vignettes where he was pretty much like Gator Man, Gator Hunter, uh, but I don't recall any, any like first name or anything like that. Um, did, I don't think even Steve Kern wrestled, did, has Steve Kern ever wrestled as Steve Kern in WWF? The beauties and, and uh, hardships of recording in the times of COVID is yes. occasionally uh, one, of, one of your fellow podcasters will freeze because here in America, um, we are at the whims of the cable companies in terms of our, how, how our high-speed internet works. We are. We don't have those sweet South Korean speeds. 
and and so uh, we 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 have to we have to do with what we can, folks. And and uh, so I think you, our fellow Americans, will understand it. And if you are a foreign listener to the program, please just uh, bear with us. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. Um, so after Skinner comes out, he helps uh, he helps Ric Flair out of the current predicament. But before we get our next man in, uh, actually, Ric Flair is 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 uh, thrown out of this rumble by Mr. Perfect. Uh, talk about a sign of things to come, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, like literally. Is, is, I was going to say, is that one of those, if you win the go-home, you don't win the pay-per-view type of uh, 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 call-aheads? Call yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It could be. Yeah. I mean, I guess... Well, no, no, it's actually, yeah, Mr. Perfect does throw out Flair, and then Mr. Perfect also, you know, beats him the next night. Spoiler alert, guys. <laughs> I mean, if, if they're listening, they're, they're going to hear it in the next episode. So. Exactly, exactly. Right. But uh, real quick, I don't want to fuck up your flow. No. Uh, I just want to mention uh, almost not at all spoken about, barely, like, I mean, he's mentioned, but but not a lot. Uh, Tenryu, one of the more famous uh, wrestlers, uh, also goes over 10 minutes, goes 13 uh, minutes, 17. And that's a pretty big deal uh, at this point for a Japanese wrestler in uh, the Fed. Uh, You know, uh, going over the 10 minute mark, not being just a, you know, chopsticks music and gong uh, kind of attraction. Yeah. Uh, Tenryu is is treated, if not um, uh, put over super heavy, he is treated uh, by by the at least the announcers as a big deal. Yeah, definitely so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, thirteen minutes is nothing to be la- laughed at in a rumble. And like you said, you know, I think we had mentioned it when we were talking about rumble reports and everything that Tenru was one of those guys that was announced ahead of time, mm-hmm. and it was that he was kind of positioned as Japanese legend. And you could tell that he was definitely um, protected in the way he was talked about and the way that he entered and, and was eliminated and everything. You know. Um, that definitely is worth mentioning. So, I mean, and, and like, aside from like, I mean, there are definitely times, uh, you know, watching it, like that he, he kind of does the uh, walk back and forth because he's on hard cam. He's like uh, up, if, like if you were, he's in stage, stage, right. he's upstage of, uh, or he's backstage of, of what's happening with Mr. Perfect and uh, Ric Flair. And so he's kind of like wobbling back and forth, not knowing what to do. But in general, he is an incredible uh, wrestler. And like for an actual like non-American, non-fed guy, he is getting treated pretty like pre- it, it's pretty cool to see like pretty him well. make the kind of the first kind of bar- like break that first kind of like real deal barrier. Yeah, he's definitely getting treated better than most people who come to visit WWE get treated exactly. they're not Vince McMahon creations yeah agreed so yeah uh, after that uh Coco Beware is number 12 coming in right after that uh flare elimination uh, uh right after Coco comes in Skinner is eliminated by Mr. Perfect after trying to pull back to his feet from the ropes so yeah that was kind of a cool little spot where Skinner was trying to, to skin do, the cat 
Yeah, exactly. Skin the cat back up like a Ricky Steamboat. Oh, what a skinner he is. He's truly a skinner because he's trying to skin the the cat. cat. That's amazing. But it didn't work for him because Perfect uh, eliminated him right then and there. Um, After that, lucky number 13, Samu of the Head Shrinkers comes out. Um, Is is Afa, isn't he escorted by Afa? Yes, I believe he was. Threw him in there. Yep, threw him. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah that was pretty that was cool. his entrance was entertaining cause just because uh, they just grabbed him by the head and threw him in the ring. There you go. <laughs> so the next guy to come out is actually one of my favorite gimmicks, like one of my favorite bad gimmicks uh, specifically. I love the Berserker. Um, John, was it John Nord, I think was his real name? Um, but I did. I really like the Berserker. I like the fact that he won all his matches by count out. I don't know if you guys remember that when he first did. He would throw, he would beat him up real bad with his big boots when he had the white fur on his big boots. And he would uh, just like, you know, hit him with the, with the leg and then throw him over and they wouldn't be able to make the 10 count in. So I was like, you know, Berserk is a natural fit for this Royal Rumble. And I just remember for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a proclivity to, to Vikings or whatever, but I like John Nord or Berserker's character. I'm hoping I'm saying that John Nord is correct. It um, is, it is John Nord. Okay. He's, like that that was always one of my favorite thing. Like John, I feel like Berserker is one of those characters that it's like, well, that's his gimmick. He's yeah. like, he, his gimmick is to throw people over, and and if I'm if I'm not wrong, like he's doing a, a whole Bruiser Brody thing too, right? With I like think it's also very similar. Like, he do, he does take that. He does the handout, and he also does Huss. I don't know if that was a Bruiser Brody thing. If he did the hut, he. He did some weird, I don't know what it means, but he'd do his hand out and he Huss. would say Huss, Huss. H-U-S-S. Huss. I don't know what it's supposed to mean or what, you know, what it really came from, but he, there was a Bruiser Brody aspect to it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I always, I like, you know, it's, it's anytime uh, it, 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 you know, it's, it's like, you know, a table ladders and chairs match or a tables match against the Dudley boys. Well, it's their match. So you can't win against them, you know, it's, but like they always lose, you know, in, yeah. in terms of like, um, well, not always, but like, it, it, so like whenever you get a character who's like, oh, this is their gimmick. I'm always just like, fuck yes. Let's see what they got. In this yeah. case, not much. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot happened between entrant 14 and entrant 15, actually. Um, so uh, after Berserker comes out, Jerry Lawler is eliminated by, by Mr. Perfect. Um, which is kind of cool. I think that that's a couple people, at least by Mr. Perfect. So he's on quite a roll at this point. Um, DiBiase and Mr. Perfect get into it almost immediately when uh, DiBiase tries to eliminate Mr. Perfect, who's on the apron. Um, Virgil was eliminated by the Berserker. um, And then Mr. Perfect was eliminated by DiBiase and Lawler from the outside. So a very strong... Um, elimination from Mr. Perfect, one in which DiBiase and Lawler both ganged up on him to uh, to kind of cheat him out, out of his victory. Um, yep. And then our, uh, our you know, it, it's for 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 that. I think it's it's interesting. Oh, number fifteen is the best. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in in terms of, I I think that it's it's good heel work, right? Like just having. It keeps him strong because 
having Ted DiBiase eliminate him, I mean, Ted DiBiase has lost consistently pretty much. Like, I mean, he's still one of the top heels, but he doesn't win a lot. And in, in terms of having him be eliminated, but, but also Jerry Lawler helps from outside that keeps Mr. Perfect looking strong, but it, it, it's, it's just good. I like, I like seeing, it makes sense. It, I, it's good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So yeah, that, I think there was like so much activity after that, uh, after the Berserker entered. Um, but then right after the Berserker, we get another uh, very important big man out at number 15. We get the, the gongs of the Undertaker. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so during this time that Undertaker is coming out, uh, Berserker and Bob Backlund were fighting a lot on the outside, but Gorilla pointed out that Backlund was not thrown over the top rope. Mm-hmm. I had to rewind it at that point to double check and make sure that the Berserker was not thrown out over the top rope. Um, but neither of them were. They were both, they both like went through the middle rope and they were both on the floor. Um, Samu was thrown out by the Undertaker. Uh, which I, I do want to point out that if you didn't notice it, that was one of the more violent toss outs that I saw. Like when Undertaker yep. threw out uh, Samu, he, the way he hit the apron looked pretty rough. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's almost, I, I would put that more on Samu than I would the Undertaker. Oh, like, yeah, just no. Look, like looking at it again, yeah, it looks like he. <laughs> I, I have it. I have it, I, I'm cheating. I have it up here. That's awesome. Uh, and it does. It does look like he's he. Uh, it might be actually both their faults. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it looked tough. It looks right. Yeah, that looks like. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't want to take any bump, but no. in general, that's one of the rougher bumps in this rumble. Yeah, um, and you had mentioned earlier. Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say it's funny that um, even back in 1993, um, they mentioned about how slow Undertaker uh, entrance was. I think Bobby the Brain Heenan said, like, by the time you get to the ring, this match is over. I thought that was pretty funny. That is hilarious. Dude. Yeah, so that I didn't realize it stretched far. Like, I know we always make fun of how long Taker entrances to the ring. I didn't know it stretched back to all the way back then, too. And it just got worse. Or better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. got longer and longer. Yeah. Oh yeah, now it's like now his entrance is like, like entrance to, to to Bell is like you know like four minutes. It's it's why they had to add an extra hour to the Mania card. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you were mentioning speaking of Undertaker that um, that of how protected Tenru was. Uh, it was it was Undertaker who actually threw out Tenru at this point in the match. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, so Undertaker eliminates Tenru, so that's definitely a protected win. And uh, at this point at this point in the match, we're, fifth, we're halfway through the field, right? We've gone 15 men deep, and we've got 15 more to go. Uh, but we're down to just four people in the ring. Um, so at this point, Undertaker, Berserker, Coco Beware, and Ted DiBiase – are the four people that are still in the ring fighting um, when number 16 hits the ring, uh, Terry Taylor. <laughs> Terry Taylor didn't even get any music. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he ties up the Birdman, Coco, uh, Beware. And it's kind of funny, but 
both bird gimmicks get thrown out by the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Both Coco Beware and the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, are both thrown out by the million dollar man. So I thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. I, I, I will say this. I think Terry Taylor deserves better than what he got. And I don't know what's going on with Coco Beware's, like, is he turning heel? I don't think like he he's doing something. He's doing like a weird bit with his his pants, where he like like he keeps like pulling them up to his nipples and shaking them around a little bit. <laughs> That's like and a, like he's ruffling his feathers, man. Well, and he helped um, uh, Ted DiBiase eliminate Mr. Perfect. Oh, did he? Yeah, he was. It, he was. It was him, Jerry. Well, like he gets down and like is is pushing him, and it's like. That's fine. Like everybody knows, there's no there's no friendships in in a Royal Rumble, but still, I don't know. You wouldn't want to get that on camera of like you're one of your better baby faces <laughs> throwing out one of your better baby faces. So I don't know. I feel it's you. weird. I, I definitely don't recall uh, Coco actually legitimately doing any heel work in WWE, but um, but yeah, I guess it just goes to show you like. At times, they're all about, you know, protecting that baby face and villain dynamic. But then again, sometimes they do want to point out that, you know, this is the only place where you're going to see uh, Hulk Hogan trying to beat up, you know, uh, Tito Santana, you know, or yeah. what, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but uh, either which way it is, it does go, it's worth saying, maybe Coco should have turned heel, you know, start bringing like a vulture to the ring instead of like a. <laughs> oh, that'd be sick. <laughs> that'd be cool. He could have been. He could have been the vulture's handler in uh, for the Undertaker at WrestleMania. Yeah, which we'll be uh, talking about a little bit later. So um, during after Taylor uh, Terry Taylor comes out, you know, um, both both him Taylor and and like I said, Coco are thrown out. But yeah. then the Undertaker at this point throws out DiBiase, who I believe had to be in there for a little while. Uh, uh, Twenty four. Uh, Almost 25 minutes. Yeah, so, I think he might have been like the second longest or something, maybe second or third longest. Uh, um, he is the second longest. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so after Undertaker throws out DiBiase, we've just got Undertaker and Berserker left, right? Mm-hmm. And they're they're fighting in the corner. Yeah, exactly. And this is where we get uh, a run-in, not an actual uh, Royal Rumble participant, but we get the debut of Giant Gonzalez. Uh, Giant, <laughs> <laughs> Giant Gonzalez comes out in an airbrushed, furry oh Sasquatch God. suit with uh, Harvey Whippleman. Yep. And, and he debuts against The Undertaker. Um, and he actually, we, we know how the, the rumble works, right? It, there's no DQs. So if, you're, if your feet hit the floor for over the top rope, you're done. And so Gonzalez and Taker fight. Uh, Undertaker is eliminated by Gonzalez, who, of course, from then on out, we get the Gonzalez and Undertaker feud headed into WrestleMania 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, more on that to come. But definitely uh, a cool moment and one of the highlights in this rumble of such a uh, historically laughed upon uh, in a good light. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good memory for me like giant Gonzalez in a fur outfit. You know what I mean? Like it was that outfit was that outfit was gaudy to say the least. 
you know, so, so a little bit about uh, Jorge Gonzalez, the, the gentleman who uh, played uh, or who wrestled as Giant Gonzalez, El Gigante, and the Yeti. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, he was a basketball player. Yep. Uh, for Argentina. Um, he, he's, he's still, I believe, the tallest man in Argentina, or was the tallest man in Argentina. He's sadly no longer with us. Um, but he, he, you know, he came, came in, uh, he was seen by the, the WWE, and they were just like, oh, we, we, uh, or excuse me, he was seen by the WCW, because mm-hmm. uh, the Hawks owner, Ted Turner, uh, offered him a job uh, in WCW. Uh, so he got his training in the power plant, and he he's one of those that appears in a ton of like um, media, like pop culture media. I, I it's it's sad that Sawyer's not here for this because he's in uh, several episodes of our new favorite show, uh, Thunder in Paradise, <laughs> uh, and he's just he he's so cartoonishly. Like he he's almost too cartoony for yeah. me, because like when he enters, his arms are wide and he's got like this yeah. wide like like grimace on his face. But he's also kind of doing like the like this little like deedle 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 like yeah. like tickle it's, motions it's with goofy. his fingers. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all it, like that's that's exactly it. Like Undertaker walks the line of of like cartoony and scary so well, like that I feel like Jack Gonzalez is just a little too silly for my, like, I, I still like it. Like, I don't understand what his character was. Is he yeah. like, what, like, is he a man that thinks he's a Yeti? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I like that. Um, I love his, like, his, his, like, 80s mullet. It looks just like, he, and, and, and uh, at one point when he enters in, um, uh, Gorilla Monsoon says, he's got to be, like 20 or 30 feet tall <laughs> and it's just like what the fuck monsoon like the guy in he, he's billed as being over eight feet and in reality yeah. he is like uh, seven foot uh, i think he's seven foot seven. Oh, seven seven okay that makes sense yeah they never could dress him right i remember before he became giant gonzalez back in wcw even then, it was like he had uh, – it was almost like a rat tail version of what he had in WWE, the, the rat tail version of the mullet. And he had almost like – I want to say red or silver trunks, like short trunks. Yes. With, uh, yeah, it was red like and black such, highlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, re- it reminded me of like a, a, like a Japanimation cartoon, you know, like a – you know, or something like that. The, it, the, it was the very problem silly. I feel with him is like in real life, he wasn't very cut. Yeah. He didn't have a very, and, and like, like a, a wrestler like Giant Baba, who was tall and like kind of muscular, but not like, like about the same shape as Giant Gonzalez. He was able to get over in the 60s and the 70s and, and the 80s to an extent, because by then he was a legend, but like, because all you needed to do was be either tall or muscular, or if you were both, that's fucking great. But in reality, mm. like, if you were a big fat guy who was seven foot tall, they didn't give a shit. Like, you're perfect. Yeah. Like, like so, so I feel like Gonzalez would have been a huge, huge, huge wrestler, no pun intended, 
if he had broken into the business in like the 70s 60s, and, 70s. and the, the like 80s because all you needed to do was be tall you didn't need to be athletic but we're approaching you know the, we're in the new generation where you gotta like you know mean mark calloway is is six eight and he's also a fucking machine like i the, i i you know like it, it's a shame but very cool looking very goofy gimmick yeah it's just awesome that we get lex luger and uh and giant gonzalez on the same evening the narcissist oh yeah guy. so number 17 comes out and that's uh our boy damian demunto followed by 18 erwin r shyster father of the fiend and uh after irs comes out uh they you know after the gonzalez and undertaker thing bob Backlund uh begins to be teamed up on by demento and irs so we get bob Backlund back in inside the ring and we get him you know just being pummeled by both the tax man and a demon and uh <laughs> uh at the same time, Paul Bear is in the corner healing the Undertaker and walking him to the back. Um, around the same time, we get 19 Tatanka, number 20 Jerry Sags, and number 21 Typhoon Shockmaster himself out. So we're we're getting a a, a more full a full field of competitors again, right? Um, yeah, Fred Ottman. I, I've, I always love, I like Typhoon. Like, once again, uh, being a fat guy, anytime a fat guy is, is a good guy. I've, so I like Tugboat. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I like Typhoon. I, I believe at this point, Typhoon and. Uh, Did you just uh, call Earthquake. him Typhoon? Like, there's like a Typhoon. Tofu? <laughs> I mean, he does. He looks like a big chunk of Tofu. He's exactly. got a big blonde head. <laughs> like, he does look. That would make me so happy if you if he came back as a tofu gimmick. Legitimately, he looks like uh, it now. Fred Ottman looks like my old college landlord, Mike Prunty. Like he looks like he's like, huh, huh, what, uh, what's what's wrong with you kids? You you keep your liquor in the freezer, you know, like uh, very weird uh, guy. Both Fred Ottman and our our landlord. Um, I love so I love me some food. Um, Jerry Sags, I don't, I don't, uh, this, this may surprise our listeners. I don't really fancy, I don't really like the Nasty Boys too much. Uh, I find them to be kind of lame. Uh, yeah. I think they're only there because of nepotisms. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I'm just like, ugh, on, on yeah. them. You know, uh, I kind of felt the same way at first. I wasn't a very big Nasty Boys fan and, and definitely a lot <laughs> of that exists because of Hogan. Uh, and and hit, like you know Hogan's friendship with those guys, but I kind of like grew on them after a few years, and they started doing some work. I think I liked them better after they moved to WCW after their WWF yeah. stint. I think yeah. I kind of started respecting them a little bit more, you know. Um, I always I, for me, same I always gimmick in WCW. Oh, exact same gimmick. Yep, they were literally the Nasty Boys. I think they owned their gimmick. That was one of those like I never. I never, I like, I always lump them in with like public enemy mm-hmm. and like, yeah. like all the, all the older overweight white guys who were trying to be mm-hmm. like hip hop boys. Like yeah. I, that's, that's what I always labeled them as. I was just like, kind of like, why do you exist? Why are you like, like public enemy? Like, why do you, 
go like, hey, oh, yeah, hey. Like, yeah. It's like, you're like men on a mission like four years after men on a mission stop being men on a mission. Like, you're weird, man. I don't like you. And like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't like, it's just not my type of wrestling. Yeah. It's very I, well, I never liked wrestling. it. I, I just didn't like their gimmick. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just gross what they do with the arm. Pity city. Yeah, it's just not my thing. It's, yeah. It's Me and Song are two. Obviously, like I learned it while I was being babysat by Song, uh, <laughs> that that we we don't we don't like gross things. We're we're no. proper boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. Then you're definitely not gonna like our next two entrants, Fatsu <laughs> of the Head Shrinkers, and uh, then we get Typhoon's uh, partner, uh, Earthquake. You know, the other natural disaster. Uh, who, who, to mention here, uh, Earthquake attacks his partner, Typhoon, almost immediately. Yeah, well, uh, what was event- that? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're just trying to push forward that whole uh, no every no man friends. for himself. Yeah, I get that every man for himself part, but if you're a tag team partner, you're in there at the same time, wouldn't it make sense for you to eliminate other Live people together. before? Yeah. And well, then fight each other? That you know, part didn't make any sense to me. You know, it's like nobody ever accused like uh, any wrestler of being genius, and you know. Well, no, I think I, I yeah. think no, it's good no, strategy. I get that. I get that. Yeah, it's good strategy, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's who who would who would who would the fooner the buffoon the buffoon uh, who who would he least suspect uh, the Quaker? So get the yeah. So I guess maybe by that token, you're saying okay. My tag team partner is the biggest threat because he's literally the only guy as big as me in this. So and he knows me better than and he knows else. me, and he's not going to expect that I'm going to throw him over immediately. So this is my best time to do it is when he thinks I'm about to partner with him. I'm just going to hey throw man, him over now. Nothing personal. It's nothing just personal. the Royal Rumble. It's the Rumble, baby. <laughs> but there's always alliances in the Rumble. That's, you know, why not have a natural well, I'm, alliance? I'm sorry, with your tag I'm sorry, John first? Tenda. Real life sumo wrestler, wrestler right? Real yeah. life badass, real life cool dude. Uh, lives by the rules. Song. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry that he is a man of honor. It just does not make any sense. That's uh, all I'm saying. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess if you if you have the heart of a coward, it would make <laughs> no sense. Oh. So uh, oh, one of the man. one of my favorite parts of this uh, of this little uh, part of the rumble was uh, was Brain's comment about Typhoon and Earthquake enjoying pounding one another, and that he oh, hopes yeah. no- and that he hopes nothing's going on that they don't know about, which was very <laughs> cringe. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> "Did y'all Dude, catch Brain? That? Brain is trying to tell kids like, hey, look, hey boys out there, you know, you're watching, maybe you're feeling something." Maybe you're not. <laughs> Your old pal, the brain, wants you to know it's okay if you're feeling those feelings. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I like like to an extent, it's kind of wholesome, but also, it's a little weird. Like, like yeah. I like the idea. Like I would like an idea that like, like, see, no, I don't think he should be implying that typhoon and an earthquake are fucking because are like <laughs> because like like. That that that's not something kids need to be told. Now, if he was implying that they were in love, 
How do you think earthquakes start, little boys and girls? Yeah, yeah. Look, oh look when, when an earthquake and a typhoon uh, love together. each other very much, they make a a uh, a geyser, and, <laughs> and that geyser goes off. Oh my and, god! And uh, like, no, but if if he was saying like, look, boys and girls, typhoon loves earthquake, like your mommy loves your daddy, and that's okay. If, 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 like, Brain was like that, then I would be like, okay, you know, whatever, this is, but, like, he's yeah, like, way, he's <laughs> like, hey, hey, they're probably fucking, isn't that weird, isn't that weird? <laughs> well, but, he's, like, but tapping you. But, but, but don't mind me, like. All right, so number 24, uh, Carlos Colon comes in, Puerto Rico, um, another, he's, like, a le uh, legend from Puerto Rico, right? Yeah, he's uh, Epico and Fantastic, or Epico and uh, Primo. Primo. Primos. Well, one of they're not brothers; they're cousins. Yeah. So he's. I think he's Carlito. Epico's father and Carlito's father. father. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and 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 uh, he's also like the owner of uh, the Puerto Rican um, uh, Wrestling Federation, which name uh, escapes me, but only briefly. Uh, it's the WWC. That's right. Uh, and he is a Hall of Famer. He's also uh, possibly, maybe, involved in the murder of Bruiser Brody. Yeah. So, yeah. All that. So, yeah, Carlos. And he's Colon probably got Hep C, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, because he's, he's fought with uh, Abby, uh, Abdul the Butcher. Oh, and, gotcha. Uh, Abby's like, he's got like hep A, B, C, D, E, F, G. He's got all the hepatitis. That's really sad. I, I, it is, and it's, it, what's worse is he doesn't disclose it and still goes and, and bleeds on people and shit like that. Uh, and uh, that's how uh, there's, there's, I think, a, a documentary out. Um, the the uh, YouTube guy who does the shoots, I, I, his name's escaping me now. Um, like like uh, Vlad Vlad TV. Uh, okay. He was he was a wrestler and he did like an indie show with Abdul the Butcher, and he bled on him and he cut him, and he ended up getting Hep C from him and it ruined his career. Like because he had a tryout with WWF. And then the, the test came back that he had. Oh, that's so dude. And he had to spend a whole year trying to, like, he spent a whole year getting off of it, like, getting it out of his body yeah. and, like, overcoming it. But by then, you know, a year of not working out every day, a year, like, it's a really, really fucked up, sad story. I believe he won a countersuit against uh, uh, Abdul the Butcher. But that whole style of, like, like heavy, I mean, like Carlos Colon. He look, like you look at his forehead, and it looks like he had a had a run in with like a fucking like a, a, a hedge trimmer. Yeah, like it looks like just, the end of a roll of hamburger buns. Yeah, <laughs> or, or like much, you know? uh, when you buy a pound of ground beef at the, yeah. at the at the supermarket when it comes in that plastic, like how it looks wavy. That's kind of mm. like what his forehead looks like. It's disgusting. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't Monsoon call him a promising youngster? Oh, Carlos? Yeah, I believe yes. he does. He absolutely does, and I was laughing when he said that. Uh, he does come out, Carlos, uh, you know, 
Carlos uh, definitely was involved in the murder of Damien Demento as he was tossed over by Carlos. <laughs> uh. So he definitely was involved in that murder. But uh, but he gets Demento out. Uh, yeah, and Gorilla does actually, I believe, call him uh, uh, a promising youngster. Um, and after that, we get number 25. Uh, he was 45 at the time. Carlos was 45 at that time yep. in 93? That's crazy. <laughs> Promising youngster, born Promising in 1948. You know, I think what I, I thought in my head at that moment, because I, I, I thought I was like, Gorilla knows too much to be calling this guy a youngster. But then I was like, maybe it's just because Gorilla was even older. No, maybe. they're they're friends. They're, they were contemporaries. I, I, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after we get... Uh, Tito Santana out at number 25, we get uh, Fatu eliminated by Backlund. So even though Backlund came in at what, number two, he's still throwing people over the ropes because Backlund's like that. Um, then literally right after number 25, Tito Santana, we get his ex-Strike Force partner, Rick Martel, now known as the model Rick Martel. Uh, of course, is he Rick the Mar model yet or is he just Rick Martel and a, as a heel? Well, he did have like purplish tights at that time. So did, did he have the arrogance though? Because I feel like the arrogance is the mark of when he became like the transition from heel Rick Martel to the model, Rick the model Martel. I'm going to double check that, but I feel like he was he, the, he was. He didn't have that with them, but it could just because it's a rumble. Instance, yeah, so I think bring that's it with true. I, I think he was the model in 1993. Um, and they met, I, the announcer may have referred to him as the model also during the match, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was the model from 1989 to 1995, according to Wikipedia. There you go. All right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, Rick Martel's out, goes right after Strike Force partner Tito Santana uh, during uh, the, the, the moments after number 26 Martel comes out. IRS is also eliminated by Earthquake when Quake sidesteps Irwin, and Irwin's momentum also tosses him over the side. Um, after that, we get number 27. Lucky 27 is Yokozuna. Comes out. Of course, Yokozuna weighing upwards of 500 pounds, according to what he was being billed at at that time uh, by Monsoon, right? I believe is like being built. Yeah, over he, and, and, I, and I think right, at right. this time it's also being built as being from Japan. <laughs> Very true. Very yeah. true. You mean he wasn't a real sumo wrestler? That that Samoan <laughs> blood runs runs very deep in yeah. the Japanese island. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Yoko comes out. Tatanka is eliminated by Yoko. Carlos Colon is eliminated by Yoko, uh, and then we get. As a matter of fact, a standoff between Yokozuna and real-life uh, sumo wrestler Earthquake. So we yep. get that standoff, which is really cool. You know, it's always cool when you can see, like, two men left in the ring or, you know, like, the two men left standing or just, like, the biggest guys in the ring and there's that standoff that never would really happen unless you're at a rumble. Because, you know, normally Yoko and Earthquake aren't really going to be on each other's radar in 1993, you know? Exactly. That's the one of the beauties of the rumble is that it brings guys who aren't necessarily on each other, at least back in this time too, who weren't necessarily on each other's card level 
mm-hmm. but can do some serious damage. Absolutely. So I know, as, as, especially when I was younger, and even to this day, like that's one of the things that I'm excited about for tomorrow's Royal Rumble is that, um, you know, those moments where, you know, you get those standoffs between people you didn't even really know you wanted to see them stand off until they're, they're, they're kind of there in front of you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Number 28, uh, The Rocket, Owen Hart. Owen Hart Love comes him. in. Yoko eliminates Earthquake during this time frame. Then we get number 29, Repo Man comes out. Uh, so at this point, after the Repo Man comes out, there's a, a, a kind of a moment during the Rumble where the whole field of around seven or eight guys does try to go ahead and team up on Yokozuna to get him over. So you've got that whole, you know, it happened to Andre in every Rumble before Yoko, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. where everybody's like, get Andre or get Yoko. And, you know, basically everybody who's in the ring has to put forth their best effort to try to toss the big man out. Sometimes it happens when you have it, like, say, be a Mabel, and sometimes it doesn't happen. In this this case, it definitely didn't work. As well, it wouldn't have worked if they had one more person. Yeah, that's all they needed. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I can't remember if Repo Man was helping this time, but, uh, but yeah. Repo Man was the, the guy that had most recently come out. So you're saying they needed one more guy past the Repo Man or if Repo Man would have helped? No, him? I'm saying if Typhoon was still in there and Earthquake oh. was in there, they could have eliminated Yokozuna. Very easy. Yeah, dude, that would have been a sweet alternate go. universe. Like to see like uh, the natural disasters team up together to get the yolk, to get yolks out. Love that. That, that would have been love sweet. That. Yep. Last guy in the rumble this year uh randy macho man savage so yeah yeah uh so yeah so randy comes out you know savage comes out with a vengeance after repo because the week previous is the uh the rumble that we've already recorded about which we were talking about how repo is uh repoing macho's hat and uh so randy's comes out for his hat's vengeance Yokozuna during this time frame throws out Tito Santana. Jerry Sags is eliminated by an Owen Hart drop kick that was actually meant for the model Rick Martel. Then Owen Hart is eliminated by Yoko. And then Repo Man is eliminated by Macho Man Randy Savage. So this leaves us with our final four competitors in the ring for this 1993 Rumble. The final four is Macho Man Randy Savage, Rick Martel, Bob Backlund, and Yokozuna. Um, during this final four time frame, Backlund eliminates, uh, Martel. Then Bob Backlund and Yokozuna square off after Backlund's been in the ring for over an hour. Yoko eliminates Bob Backlund finally. So there goes our Iron Man out of the equation. Um, now Macho Man Savage gets Yokozuna down to one knee before Yoko hits Savage with a vicious kick, followed by a big belly to belly and a leg drop. Uh, Savage finally knocks Yoko off his feet after some time, and he goes to the uh, top for his uh, signature elbow drop. Mm. Savage, Savage attempts a cover <laughs> during the Royal Rumble, attempts right. to cover him for three to get the pin, and of course Yokozuna throws Savage over the top rope from a pinning position to win the Royal Rumble for 1993. Except so, it looks like Macho Man just jumps over the top rope. It definitely, right. it definitely looks as though that could have happened. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Uh, with that, but yeah, what do you guys think about 
that making Macho Man try to pin in a Rumble match, that that make the wrestler look stupid. I mean, he's already got his hat, like, repoed. He, he can't be that smart. Yeah, but this is a two-time world champion at this point, and they're booking him to look like a moron. Yeah. Can't afford to pay his hat payments. Already looks like a moron song. I'm just saying, like, I agree with you. I, I just think that ship that ship has done sailed when they they had his hat be repossessed. Like, like uh, is this Macho the Man's a former world champion. Why can't he afford to pay his hat payments? Maybe it was a Gucci hat. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I mean, it definitely that, that thought does cross my mind. As a, as, a, as a small kid, it didn't really cross my mind. I might have thought to myself, right. Macho, you can't pin him or whatever, you know, but like, I don't know, but as, but as an adult looking back, of course, you're like, well, you think before you entered a Royal Rumble, if, 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 if me, Song, and Kyle know the rules to the Royal Rumble, and we would probably not try to cover anybody for a pinfall if we were in a Royal Rumble, then probably Macho Man shouldn't because he's a professional. Also, he oh, entered good. last. It's not like he was so in the, the heart of being in this match where he's just like, oh, you know, I – I, uh, I just, I, uh, I, I'm not going to try to do an impression. I, uh, I, I can't, I can't concentrate on, on that because I'm so into the match. You were number 30. Did he do something wrong at this time to, uh, provoke the, uh, Federation to book him so poorly? Well, Vince does think he's too old. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's why, uh, Macho Man had been spending a lot of time on the microphone song. Yeah. Is uh, is that 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 Vince kind of viewed him as a commentator because he could be trusted on the mic, um, but Savage still saw himself as like a world title competitor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he could still go at this time. So um, especially this time. Yeah. So I I don't know what it was that made Vince feel that way. If he just you know if he just lumped Savage in with that previous generation because that's that's where the rest of them were gone. So Savage needs to move on too to the next thing and make way for your Undertakers and Shawn Michaels. But it's definitely, I don't know. I guess, I guess there, it was a way for them to show how powerful Yoko was as well. You know, I can throw Savage from a, a laying position. Yeah, but you would think they couldn't do that without having him attempt a pin. I don't know. No, it's definitely stupid. You know, I mean, and this is Yokozuna is relatively new, right? Also, he looks, yeah, Yoko looks killer. I love the black and white, the white tights with the black accent. I think that looks killer. Um, I I think this is probably him at his slimmest. I said earlier that it was him at his heaviest, but it's absolutely not. Uh, This is him at his slimmest. He looks good. He's not gassed. So, yeah, so after the Yoko win, Caesar and Cleopatra come back out to congratulate Yoko and kind of remind us that he's going to be main eventing WrestleMania 9 against Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, so that was an awesome end of the pay-per-view. We get Yokozuna's uh, big win. Um, now, a couple of things that I looked up after the fact about the Royal Rumble was that, of course, Bob Backlund was the Iron Man, lasting over an hour. The second longest, like you had mentioned before, was DiBiase at around 24 minutes. While the shortest amount of time was Terry Taylor. He only lasted 24 seconds in this match. Um, Also, Doink, the clown, wrestled Jim Powers in a dark match uh, before the pay-per-view. And, of course, Doink defeated uh, Jim Powers uh, of the Young Stallions. So, um, 
Yeah. You guys have fun watching this? I loved it. Definitely. Yeah. It's super nostalgic for me too. Uh, fun watch. And, so, and the next recording that we'll be doing will be for the uh, Ric Flair and uh, Mr. Perfect, um, you know, retirement match or not retirement match. I'm sorry. I'm being incorrect for that uh, loser leaves WWE match, I guess is more like it. Yeah. So um, before we go today, I, I I know that you you had you had texted something. Should we mention something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Pat Patterson, the father of the Royal Rumble. Uh, this is you know he passed away earlier. This was it yeah, in twenty twenty. I think it was in twenty twenty still. Yeah. So you know he, he passed away in twenty twenty, and uh, you know he he definitely will be missed. He is one of the greatest wrestling minds of all time and certainly an incredible innovator with you know uh coming up with the royal rumble i think that's you know it it, it, it is a cool story you know I, we've touched upon it where you know he's just like well let's do a battle royal but in, but you know reverse it and and i think that's a, a cool idea i don't know he he i never you know i always for me, most of my familiarity with Pat Patterson came as one of the stooges right. of uh, Vince McMahon during the Attitude Era. But in yeah. general, like the man has a storied career and is just an incredible figure and is going to be missed. Yeah. Huge legacy to leave. Um, yeah. You know, a, a match that has, it, what, I don't even know how many Royal Rumbles we've had so far, but it's lasted well over 30 years for sure, right? So, yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, I also wanted to go ahead and close by uh, by mentioning that uh, we we totally do realize that right now everybody who's following us is probably our family or our friends. <laughs> so especially right now, you know, we would love to hear from you guys. You know, um, so feel free to ask questions. We want to hear what you would like to hear in the future on the show. Uh, we would really like to to ask if you guys have any trivia questions. Uh, or questions for us in general, you know, as we as we meet people who are listening to us, we want to know what questions you have for us. So um, in just a minute, you'll hear all of our contact information. Please feel free to reach out to us with any questions you have. We look forward to hearing from you. And we've had fun talking with you guys about the uh, 1993 Royal Rumble today. We'll see you again on Pin the Champ soon. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now we want to hear from you. You can hit us up at pinthechamppodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at pinthechamp123. And our Google Voice number is 804-446-1139. We can't wait to hear from you.